Too lucrative, too easy, and not enough investment. In the simplest terms possible, that is how you would describe the current state of cybersecurity. Over the last month, we've heard from some of the top minds in the industry, and a general consensus is that despite the innovations and optimism in the world of cybersecurity, those three issues remain at the heart of the problem. There's more tools available. There is more research. The hacking communities are actually businesses. They employ people, they pay people, they write these things, and it is becoming easier. The overall system has not been very well studied to understand what are the right things to do and what things we should limit, and that kind of thing. That's Tahir Elgamal, CTO for security at Salesforce. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, our cybersecurity series concludes as Tahir is joined by Ed Amoroso, founder and CEO of Tag Cyber. The two discuss the state of cybersecurity, including where companies are getting their security measures right and where the industry is struggling as a whole. The two also detail why the growing divide in the skills of people is the problem without an immediate solution and why financial incentives are simultaneously the biggest opportunity to stop attacks and the biggest threat to escalating attacks. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the world's most trusted low-code platform. Enhance trust, compliance, and governance across all your apps with Salesforce security. Learn more at salesforce.com slash data security. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we conclude our security series with Tahir Elgamal and Ed Amorosa. Tahir is the CTO of security at Salesforce and Ed Amorosa is the founder and CEO of Tag Cyber. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to at your respective companies. We'll start with Ed. Well, it's nice to be here, guys. I'm looking forward to a nice discussion. Um, always learn something new when you catch up with uh, Tahir, so it's going to be a lot of fun talking about cybersecurity. Tahir, how about yourself? Ed and I have been involved in cybersecurity before the word cyber was even invented, so it's really fun to be here. I have a role at Salesforce that covers a lot of security things over the entire security program. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Now, before we get started, we always want to talk a little bit, you know, one of the things I always think about is bringing up news. Cybersecurity is always changing. I read an article about how 1,500 businesses were affected by the largest U.S. uh, ransomware attack just recently. Uh, It was reported on July 5th, between 800 and 1,500 businesses around the world were affected. And it's centered on U.S. information technology firm Kaseya. Now, whether that attack, you know, whether that case specifically, that's not the issue. What is the issue is it does really feel like the size, scale, and scope of cybersecurity attacks, it just keeps increasing. And I know more and more people are on the job trying to solve this problem, but I'd love to hear your perspectives on why, like, how does this keep getting bigger? Like, it feels like we should be stopping these, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like they're more frequent, getting bigger. Like, how do we, what is the solution? What is the state of affairs that we need to solve to get towards a solution. I'm going to start the conversation with Ed. I'd love to hear your perspective on what is going on. 
Well, first of all, let's set expectations. There's you know, nobody's going to get a solution to this from um, any of us on a, That's- <laughs> a podcast. It's just not going to happen. If we if that if we had the solution, then I have a feeling Tahar when I, and I would be out on our boats right now. But that's true. Well, we we can solve it in the next thirty minutes and be over with. You know? <laughs> if we could solve it, we certainly would. But it's too easy to do these things. We we've learned over the years. When you build things that are complicated, that you kind of don't understand, and I really think that characterizes almost everything that's put in place, with some exceptions, you know, businesses that put in place a network and put some sort of security in place and buy some software and buy some apps and, and operate, maybe understanding 80, 90% of what they've got. It shouldn't come as a surprise that someone understands what they're running and operating and what they bought better than they do. I mean, think about anything you buy. Like if you buy a piece of software and you might be using it for five years and then somebody who really knows the software says, hey, did you know that if you hit this button and that button and this one, that this thing pops up and you go, I'll be darned. I had no idea. That is the way everyone operates their business. That's how we run IT systems where you have a pretty good idea of how things work, but then some hacker comes along and understands it better than you do. And we wonder why we get hacked. So I always say it's not a matter of buying a bunch of things that you know are going to protect you. It's taking the time, maybe it's even futile in some cases, but at least trying to understand what you've got. And once you understand it, it's much, much, much easier to secure what, um, what you have in place. So that to me, when you say 1500 businesses, that doesn't surprise me. I'm sure it doesn't surprise Tyler. We've seen people getting hacked. And usually it's because it's not because they're just crazily negligent. It's that they just don't understand. And they're the first ones, the most surprised group where they go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that could happen. And then they try to fix that until the next thing happens. So that, that's kind of the, uh, the core problem. Until we address uh, that complexity and the level of understanding of what we run, where those of us in the cybersecurity business are going to be very busy, right? And continue. <laughs> Maybe that's a full, full employment act or something, but it really is the part of the problem. Tyre, does that make sense to you, this issue of people understanding? So this, is, this makes a lot of sense, but I think it's also deeper than this because building systems today is the people who build systems do not actually understand every single thing in it. Because you build, you take third-party components, you pick open source things, and you put them all together and you get it to work. And it's actually very difficult to understand what the attack vector could be when you put all of these things together. And the hacker is lucky because they have automated tools and they just run their automated tools until they find an opening. So, so for a hacker, one opening is sufficient. But for people who build things, you actually have to cover every single opening. So it's actually very, very unfair of a game. I'm generally not the alarmist person, but I think this is completely predictable. And this is the beginning because all systems are built like this, from the smallest companies to the biggest companies. You know, the big companies spend a lot of time and a lot of effort to secure themselves, which they do really well. But the components of all the systems that run together and the level of connectivity between everything and everything else just makes things very vulnerable. It's true. So that brings up an amazing point. Like uh, you mentioned before that 
the bad actors are constantly running scripted automations, constantly trying to find and poke holes into existing systems. You mentioned earlier in the conversation, Ed, like you have to be a master of your own system, which is also part of the challenge because, you know, especially the enterprise level, you're moving fast, you're building things like you don't really have time to examine everything you you buy, soup to nuts. Like, what is this? Right. Is the answer potentially continuously trying to hack yourself? Meaning, do you do you see a future where uh, or I mean, you can tell me where how CISOs are currently thinking about it, where you're literally hiring like your your own hackers. Like, hey, yo, I need you to break this. Like, like that's, that's your job. Like, I'll pay you a bonus if you can figure out a way to break this and take the take data in the system. Because if you do, I'll pay you more or I'll be able to solve these problems and holes. I'd love to hear some like, how do we how do we begin to handle this problem? Because these are very sophisticated. It's a big problem, as you mentioned, Ed. And it's also calculated attacks, Tahar, that you mentioned. Well, what's new is not what you're describing. That's not new. The idea of putting white hats, is what, what we would call those individuals, into your enterprise and doing pen testing and other types of things. We've been doing that for many years. What is new is building software, building tools, building automation to try to orchestrate that intelligently and autonomously. We're starting to see platforms pop up that, are, that can do that continually. Because as, as you point out, Albert, the concept makes sense to be looking for holes, find them before the hackers do. Again, it's a little rough because well, that's also an unfair fight. Let's say you have 10 people doing it in a bank. Well, you have 10 million people aiming their attacks at you. So it's still, it's still not fair, but that idea is a good one. But using a platform, using systems to do it, allow you to do it continuously and allow you to cover everything a little bit more effectively. And you can drive it off of some framework like the MITRE organization has this framework called Attack that people really seem to like. It's like a uh, periodic table, so to speak, of attacks. And you can lob all these attacks and combinations of them at your systems to see if the controls are working and if there may be some vulnerabilities that are there. So you're on the right track. Like That is one way that everyone, Tyra, myself, all of us would recommend you do it. But the problem with that is that you're not going to find everything. Mathematically, that's not the solution. Like if you know you have a thousand holes, you don't go poking around saying, I'm going to find them all. You rethink, why do I have all these holes? Something must not be right. Mm. Because it's not easy to have, a, have complete confidence that you found everything. Like Albert, if I poked around for an hour and I found a problem, and then I poke around for two days and I find three problems, and I poke around for three weeks and I find five problems, well, should I keep going? And it's like there's no completeness argument there. So testing is a great way to prove that there are problems. Like if you told me, I have no problems, I am metaphysically perfect, don't even talk to me, I have no problem, then folks like Tahir and myself would roll a pen testing team in, find three or four problems and say, there, we found three problems in an hour. What we've proven is that you don't have zero problems. Yeah. But if you said, find them all, that's a, that's a hard way to do it because there's no way of knowing whether you got them or not. That's it. it. Testing has always had that problem. Software testers have always known that it's a great way to find the presence of problems, but a terrible way to prove their absence. So it's also one of the challenges that you run into here. That's one of the reasons why all these companies are getting hacked. That's not an easy thing to do. Tahar, I didn't know if you had any follow-up to that, uh, to that answer from uh, Ed. So a couple of things to add. One is 
investing in securing systems and infrastructure is perceived as a cost, as a pure cost. So everybody is looking to sort of where do I cut costs? But, you know, people who understand that the scope of the problem, build complete, more complete, there's no 100% complete, but more complete programs where you actually not just look for the problems you have in your systems and infrastructure, you also look for ways to detect early before a hack happens or before a breach happens or while somebody's trying and try to mitigate along the way. So it's not a one shot and done. But to be able to execute these things, you actually have to invest in, in securing the systems and the infrastructure and everything because it it's just doesn't come for free. And automation, I mean, there is a lot of automation techniques coming up now. So you basically need to run these at all times because that's what the, the attackers do. You know, you, you can go and rent, you know, per the hour hacks. You don't need to write anything anymore. They're all done for you and they're automated, right? You're actually not sitting in front of the screen trying to book manual. Hmm. So to defend against that, you need an automated set of systems to basically detect and protect and prevent and, and you know, support the entire basically s- s- scope of, of, of how do you protect an infrastructure that is so complex, complicated as we've been talking. So there are things that people can do, but unfortunately, it takes one of these big, huge hacks for us to go and say, okay, I guess now we need to invest because we had to you know, pay ransom to some random person in some random place in the world. So, you know, the world does need to get proactive. We do need to simplify things and add testing and improve things. But until that is happening, we need a better security program. And we need it everywhere, which is unfortunate because we're all connected to each other. So if one of your partners got attacked or hacked, that is actually, you know, produces vulnerability into everything that they connect to. And guess what? Everything is connected to everything at some point. Yeah, I mean that's a that's an increasing reality, let's say, of software, right? Like if we use our flagship sponsor, Salesforce, right? You guys have everyone every every app connects to something, like Tyler said, right? There and that is not going to stop. That's going to continue because every application nowadays is built and designed specifically for the purpose of sharing information with somebody else. And then because these things can be installed very quickly, you, we all know that the pace at which the business demands innovation, project completions. Uh, you know, and no one's ever going to say, hey, slow down, take more time on this project. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we need this project done so we can implement a service or a product or a QA. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like the business wants it faster. So you're connecting more things to more things. Here's an interesting question to ask. Where does the scope of responsibility truly fall on in regards to like security? Because if I'm the company, if I'm Salesforce or I'm a big enterprise, it doesn't matter who I am, but I'm connecting up all these tools. Is it my job or is it all the, these people's jobs? And then, then, of course, the magic question, who's actually culpable? If something bad happens, who do I blame? <laughs> right? Like, I'd love to hear your perspective because this, this, this situation is not going to change. The more software is going to connect with more software, connect with more systems. That's a fact. And I'd love to dive into that. Who, where, you know, what is a business to do? They can't just shrug their shoulders and say, I, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I can't solve it. Well, I mean, there are, there's legal constructs and laws and contracts and service level agreements that sort out who gets blamed when there's a problem. You know, I'm sure at Salesforce, they have 
probably more lawyers than um, <laughs> than a lot of other companies that that work that out. And you have to, you have to understand, you know. So when you sign out, like for example, I'm sure every one of us uses um, I don't know Google for something or other. Let's say you make a business decision based on a Google search result that comes back that turns out to be wrong. Can you sue Google? Well, that's kind of silly. You might, I guess, you could sue anybody you want. Probably going to be um, uh, not going to be successful because there's a whole uh, process for sorting that out. So the, where it starts is with individuals and businesses and corporations having the responsibility to do everything they can to protect themselves, to buy the right tools to train their employees, to use good services. Let's take uh, Salesforce as an example. I think it makes a lot more sense to be using Salesforce because they've got people like Tahar and a big team that know what they're doing than, say, buying an enterprise uh, CRM tool and dropping it into your onto a server in your server closet or something and trying to hire some kid to come tend to it and patch it and make sure hackers don't get into it. We all know that that's an inferior approach, and it's much more reasonable to depend on a company that knows what it's doing. That's why, for example, recent problems with um, Microsoft Exchange servers, you know, the, I guess the, a bunch of uh, Chinese foreign nationals were literally indicted for having done this just, just recently. They've been better off using Microsoft 365, right? I mean, than running your own exchange service. So this idea of moving to cloud is a really good idea, I think, as long as you're moving to well-run public cloud services. You know, if you do that, then you take advantage of Google's capability, of Verizon's capability, of Salesforce capability, of SAP. These are large companies that have a really good security team and probably have a, a better than average chance of stopping nation state attacks. So I think that that trend of you're responsible for your own resources and protecting them. You're going to go get partners to help you. You're going to buy things that'll help you do that. The legal constructs make sure that, you know, when they sell it to you, they're indemnified. But you're better off, I think, buying from better vendors, ones that have experience and have good security teams. And that's why, you know, we would recommend to anybody, if you're running an enterprise CRM, Get rid of that. Go, you know, buy something like Salesforce, and then you're going to have a good team there helping you. And this isn't a commercial for Tire. I'm just saying, in general, moving into cloud and SaaS makes a heck of a lot of sense to me, especially for smaller companies. So, so that'll be my one. Uh, so, Tire, that's my one marketing uh, pitch for uh, for SaaS. And yeah, on one hand, uh, that sounds right. But, you know, there, there's still fear from the cloud services. Although Ed is absolutely right. Because the cloud service provider has nothing else to offer. So, you know, all the cloud service providers invest in security because that's what we have to sell. And depending on a big team that is well-trained, that covers all aspects of all the systems, obviously is a better deal than trying to hire a few people to run things. So it's a new world. And, and we really need to work together. The thing that is lacking, you know, we've been talking, and Ed will, will maybe laugh at this one. We've been talking about information sharing for tens of years. Mm -hmm. And there are some, you know, entities that share things about attacks and things like this. But we really don't. We, we are not collectively trying to defend with each other hmm. because we're competitors. And competitors kind of don't like each other very much. 
I think we need to change that philosophy. I think it is really, really important that we start to find ways to work together better. Even people who compete, companies or even governments who don't like each other, they all get attacked by the same people. So they all fall victims. While if we actually had planned and, and cooperated, things might be better. While we're you know, trying to improve how we build systems together, which will you know, take many, many years, I think. Let's take a quick pause to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Now, let's get back to the conversation. That is a hard concept to to see coming true. I agree 100%. If everyone's working together towards solving the same problem to make sure the security is tight, odds of solving go way up. You're exactly right. It is that is not the nature of like, even like in your partner ecosystem, right? Like they're, they're not really going to work together like that. I remember how standoffish it was at the agency level, just agencies trying to like share ad buying data. Like everyone was like, no, I don't want to share. It's like, what do you mean you don't want to share? The client was like, this is our data. Like, why can't we share? And so when it comes to security practices, cybersecurity, I could see like people freaking out, like not wanting to work together. And I know that they do today. I'd love to hear any ideas you have to her about how, how does that begin to happen? Because it's nice to say, we should just all work together. I agree. How does it happen? Or what's something that you think needs to happen? I mean, if somebody, you know, if, if your neighbor sees, you know, some, some bad people walking in and they warn everybody around and do a neighborhood watch, is that a bad thing? That's a good thing. That sounds like a great thing. And the neighbors can hate each other, for God's sake. But the neighbor... The neighbors can actually hate each other in, in the sense that, you know, they never participate in, in, in social activities or anything. But we don't do this in the electronic world. And we have the tools. We can automate this. So I don't actually have to call people to do the neighborhood watch. We can just automate, hey, there is something coming from the Far East here. People watch out for it. And you provide a little bit of evidence or what have you. And you actually get the benefit of the other way. If somebody else sees something else first, you get the benefit. So participating kind of feeds into itself. I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do, by the way. This is not an easy thing to do. But we need a mentality change because the level of connectivity continues to increase and increase at an alarming rate. So when you say 1,500 businesses got hacked at the same time, that is not a big thing in the level of connectivity that we have today. That's true. Let me offer a couple of examples here that might, might help. So my belief is the thing that causes organizations to share is a big shared catastrophe, like 9-11 or something. I remember right after 9-11 being in a conference room where my boss, I was in telecommunications at the time, so this was 20 years ago. But I remember Frank Iana, who's the president of our network, being on the phone with Larry Babio, who was at Verizon, and the two of them, and all, we were all the team. I was a security guy. Them saying, hey, listen, what's ours is yours. And they were working together and we were sharing. It was a, a very proud moment. It was clear that all of the telecommunications providers were going to work together. But I've also seen cases, I won't name companies here, I'll give you sort of a general sense. But imagine two ISPs that are working to keep a bank up from a denial of service attack. And the way this works is you can think of a big switch in front of the bank running a protocol. The protocol would be border gateway protocol is BGP, which means they can point the traffic at ISP1 or they can point the traffic at ISP2. 
Now, both ISPs are using the same denial of service platform. And let's say ISP one is having trouble and there's all kinds of issues and they realize that there's a problem in the platform, that there's an issue. But while they're fixing it, the bank says, a heck with you, I'm going to try your competitor. So they slosh over to the competitor and you know that the platform they're using can fix the problem. Am I motivated to call them up and say, listen, here's how you fix this. And now you're going to look great to this bank, which by the way, we compete for business on, or do you go, let them figure it out, you know? And if it doesn't work out over there, it'll slosh back to me and I can say, oh, I think I fixed it. And then I look great. (laughs) It's that kind of thing where you're going through that kind of process. Again, 9-11, different story. Nobody was thinking along those lines. Those in, during that time period, it was whatever we can all do together to bring you know, our, our infrastructure back up and get people communicating and, and, and do whatever we can to restore normalcy. We're all going to do that. But in a normal case, like with a bank where you're competing, to Tahir's point, it's a, you know, it's a, in business terms, you don't like each other, certainly, but you're really just competing. And do you, are you obliged to tell them that you found a problem? No. Are you motivated to do that? Well, probably not. You know, you just assume it fail over there and then they slosh back. And you, so you get the point. That's the kind of thing that practitioners are dealing with all the time. When I read things like um, executive orders and other things that say we're all going to share and we're going to make it easier for you to share. It's not that they need to make it easier for us to share. It's that to Tahir's earlier point. The forces, the motivation, the incentives are perverse here. They're not for us to be sharing with our competitor, unless it's a complete non-differentiator. Look at the banks. This is the funniest thing of all. I don't know how much you know about the bank sharing, but in 1998, uh, Dick Clark, working for President Clinton, did this presidential directive, an order called PDD 63, an executive order, where they said, we're all going to share. They created all these sharing groups in each sector. One of them is financial services. Now, every one of these sharing groups became this sleepy little thing where there'd be meetings like in telecom, real boring, simple. In financial services, what did they do? They turned it into a business. (laughs) (laughs) The financial services ISAC, FSISAC, has the biggest conference, the most expensive dues. They make money. They've got revenue. It's, It's like bigger than General Motors. And I think it's so funny that the banking community would turn a sharing construct into a business. But it gives you an idea. As Americans, as capitalists, as you know who we are, we are who we are. We respond to incentives. And the incentive to share is only intense when we really feel outraged that we as a group have been attacked. Then we pull together. When we're not under attack and we're just competing, the incentives aren't there. So it's it's I don't think... Government gets that often. They, they don't understand. Yeah, most of the time people don't get it. When you mentioned that, Ed, right? Like the collective, if everyone's affected, you know, both of you guys are correct. If everyone is part of the solution, the likelihood of solving gets better. If everyone's affected the same, everyone's obviously on the same solution side. You know, I'm curious, how does, you know, like, I don't disagree with that at all. Let's start with the private sector. What policies do you think the private sector could do to start initiating this more collaboration? You know, like what are what are some of the things that we could do? We all have work at companies or we own businesses or the people that listen to the show are working in private industry typically, even if it's public industry, it's fine. 
But how can we start moving that needle? Because I, I do agree. Like that is that is the probably the most likely best outcome if we can get there. But we don't want to cause a cataclysmic event, right? <laughs> right? We we can't we can't afford that. Collaboration is collaboration is not the solution. Redesigning and rebuilding. Like, look, mm. I believe that the cybersecurity problem is on par with the CO2 problem we have in climate science. I think it's a it's that kind of generational issue. So go back to 1920 when bank robberies were happening all the time and the G-men couldn't stop it. Well, how long did it take for us to get to the point where bank robberies were not an issue? I don't know, 80, 90 years. And now today it's not that big a deal, but it took a generational change. And I think for cybersecurity, the first thing you need is we need more young people going into computer science and learning cyber and not having a gigantic skills shortage. Uh, there's a very large critical infrastructure company I'm pretty familiar with in a sector that um, can cause some real havoc if they get it wrong. And I happen to know that they have 30 open job wrecks and they can't find the people to do it. So there's one thing. We need um, less people going into investment banking and more young people going into cybersecurity. So I've been lobbying the CISA agency, DHS to build a really scalable cyber core program, something meaningful like the Peace Corps, where you get tens of thousands of kids getting a free education and going being deployed into industry or government or some local business or some anywhere. You deploy where the risk is, just flood the zone with you know, 10, 20,000 young people fresh out of a, a computer science degree. That's like, it's like if you're in a war, you draft soldiers to the front well, this would be the same thing, but you don't have to draft them. You can educate them, put them out there for a few years. Maybe you give them a free um, four-year degree. And I think that kind of program, is the, that's the solution to the 1,400 companies getting hacked that you said earlier. It's not going to be buy this, buy that, or have this policy or everybody kumbaya sharing. We've been trying that too long. Right. It's going to be a long slog. And I've been basically pretty chatty with the Biden administration saying that President Biden should be telling the American public that it's going to take a long time yeah. for this to be fixed, probably generational. And we, they shouldn't be waiting for Vladimir Putin to say, oh, I, I'll stop hacking, you know, and then everything's all back to normal, like in a couple of months. That's the, anybody. My mother thinks that's true. She watches television and believes that if just we could convince Russia to stop, then everything <laughs> will be fine. It's so misleading. I think the right, it's, it's like climate science. Long-term, very expensive, generational. This is a really hard problem. And that's, you know, my, my grandchildren probably will worry about cybersecurity about as much as I worry about bank robberies. You bring up an awesome point because we did, I'll tell you what, we've had on IT Visionaries, not on this show, uh, this episode, but in previous episodes, We've had a lot of uh, security companies that are founded, kind of like what you said, through state-inspired businesses. A lot of like Israeli defense teams. Like we we've seen that right where where they're being asked to enter the military. They if they are comp sci competent or whatever, they're put on like task force to like figure these things out. And then they have a good model in Israel. I think a program of of um, national service for young people yeah. is a really good idea. Look, think about all of us when you were in your second semester in high school after you got accepted to college from that January until August, that was probably the least productive time of your entire life. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's just, unless you're a baseball player, my son played baseball, wouldn't have been all that happy about losing spring sports. But I think that that <laughs> period of time 
should be a period of national service. And I think a lot of young people should be trained in something technical. Some, they should get exposed to computing and maybe go into a computer science degree. So there's a lot of things to learn from countries like Israel that I think get that right. I do think that they're, they're proud of that and they have a right to be. I think that's a good program. I mean, as an, as an example of how the private sector one wants to promote more education and more knowledge about cybersecurity in general. You know, Salesforce has partnered with the World Economic Forum. We donated a lot of the material, the cybersecurity education material, to the World Economic Forum, and it's available for everyone. Just a small example of, of something we've done. So, yes, I mean, I think we need to deal with this as an existential issue. We built an infrastructure for you know, us and the next generations to live a better life effectively, but we forgot to build it correctly. It's like when we, you know, imagine if, if we started the airline industry way back when, and we just didn't care if planes fell on, you know, on the ground every other day or not. It's kind of like this. And it is actually a human issue because if we do not face this correctly, it is right about this is not going to get solved in a year or two or 10. We actually have to face reality and, you know, get certain groups of people to work on fixing what we've built and try to, you know, reinforce the foundation, if you wish. This is not, you know, some number of businesses got hacked. This is really an infrastructure that is lacking a lot of things. And the lack of sort of investment that people want to put into you know, rebuilding this infrastructure, rebuilding is a bad word, but reinforcing this infrastructure to actually work better for all of us so that we can, you know, detect these things earlier. We can find these attacks earlier. There will always be bad guys, but it's just too easy for them to, you know, find things and ask people for ransom. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the core of the article we brought up just to start this conversation, which is it's it's too lucrative, too easy. Yeah. And yeah. it feels almost like it's getting easier. I don't know if it's getting easier because it's more frequent. So most people, I think, are leading to this idea that if it's more frequent, it must be getting easier. There's more tools. It's available. There is more research. I mean, the, the hacking communities are actually businesses. They employ people. They pay people. You know, they write these things and they serve them to whoever needs it. And it's, it is becoming easier. That is absolutely correct. It's is very, very true. And also the connectivity is higher. You know, people hack into IP cameras to find their way into a bank. Yeah. The overall system has not been very well studied to understand what are the right things to do and what things we should limit and that kind of thing. You know, we're getting close to the end of our time, but I want to close with this question. And I'm just curious if you think this is ever going to happen. You know, when it comes to, you mentioned the airline industry, or we can talk about manufacturing of vehicles, they have very, very tight quality controls, extremely tight, right? Like you can't ship a motorcycle. Like the, like if I were to say motorcycle, cause I used to be really into motorcycling, right? Every part, every part has like down to like, you know, the pound per square inch or the pound per square millimeter. Like they, like they have identified the tolerance, the specification, the millimeters of clearance of every single part on that vehicle so that it is as safe as possible. And of course, we, we don't really see critical mass machine failures very often. Uh, and like, if you go to a, a, airline and aviation, that's 100% true. Like planes really don't fail like that. Although the 737 did, Max did. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> but do you, do you ever see a place where, um, 
Like, does code get to that level? Do APIs get to that level where it has that level of scrutiny where the companies do have any other option is the question. Well, I mean, right now it seems like the option is it's okay to ship with mistakes and holes. So hopefully like, <laughs> I mean, to, to, to borrow from Ed's comment, it's, it's kind of like climate change. What options do we have? Ed, anything else you'd like to add to that? Like, do you, do we ever get, do you see a place where the requirements from companies to be that airtight on their security is going to be, is going to be present? Like, like machining and manufacturing? Well, it'll get better gradually. It's gotten better already. Um, I'm guessing, for example, that when you click on an email using your iPhone, it's a somewhat different experience than clicking on an email using a Windows laptop, right? Somewhat different, right? The Windows operating system still maybe could, could use a little help, you know, with phishing and other types of things. That's why we have this big endpoint security business where we try and patch it up. So things do get better. I think a thought that might be useful for your uh, for the listeners to uh, as we close is a question I get asked all the time, and that's whether we're going to see some big horrible cyber attack that kills a lot of people. And I don't think we will. Let me tell you why. I think Americans, when we get pushed a little too hard, we get pissed, and you don't really want to get Americans pissed and together. <laughs> you push us too hard. We will pull together and we'll come at you. So the best thing you can do to America is exactly what our adversaries are doing to us now. And that's ripping us apart by injecting fake news and causing red states and blue states to not like each other and having this very slow, kind of annoying level of attacking hitting us. That's probably the best way to to go after the United States of America. Exactly what's happening now. It's annoying. We don't know what to do. We're running around in circles. We're arguing. We're this, we're that. We're spending money. We're going in circles. The worst thing an adversary could do would be really hit us because then you'd see everybody pull together. And that's such an American thing. And I'm not certainly not rooting for anybody to hit us. I don't want that to be the case. And I pray that it doesn't. But I'm saying short of that, You're in the middle of it now. Like when you say, is it going to get bad? It's like, no, it's bad now. (laughs) This is, this is, you're in it now. This is pretty bad. And it's going to continue until generationally we can fix this. I wish I could tell you that there was a short shortcut, but I don't see it. I was on some TV show or something and they said, what could I do right now? to make our country more secure. I said, go get your sixth grader and help her with her calculus homework. That's the best thing you can do Hmm. to help us with cybersecurity in our country. So that's how I think of it. I don't think you're going to see, you know, planes falling out of the sky and nuclear plants blowing up. It ain't going to happen because it wouldn't be in any adversary's interest to do that. Hmm. It's more in their interest to do exactly what they're doing right now and what they did in 2016 to our election. Exactly that. And they figured it out. They fig- they've managed by Jove. They figured us Americans out and they've, they know how to hit us. So that's the good news, bad news of it. This will eventually get better. But in the meantime, we're going to go through purgatory. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionary Security Series. It's always a pleasure having people that are experts in their field kind of share their perspectives on how this can be solved, whether it's technically, doesn't seem like there's a technical solution right away. Culturally, seems like it's going to take a little evolution. And, you know, I think that's 
well, you guys, you both bring up this great point is I think we all, I mean, we just all want these problems to be solved, but it's not like that. It's not, it's not a flick of a switch, push of a button, ship a new feature, problem solved. It's actually like a cultural way of what, what we do business. And that is a common theme that's come across uh, every guest that we've had on the security series. Like this fundamentally the problem is how we, the, how the problem is approached or how we build things like that. That is the problem. We have to change the way we do things. Thanks everyone. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.